Pulp MX Network production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code STEVE, S-T-E-V-E. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on pulpmx.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by BTOsports.com. The original moto podcast featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. With me on the line... Taking a break from his day-to-day grind at American Honda, the uh, the chief of finding horsepower there on the factory Honda Muscle Milk team, Dan Bentley. Dan, what's up? Hey, what's shaking, Steve? Thanks for doing this. What, uh, thanks for asking me. What were you doing to stop at 1 o'clock to do this? What did I interrupt? What did I... You, you have no idea. Dinos had to come to a screeching halt for me to pick up the phone to talk to you, so I hope you appreciate it. Really, huh? Wow, I do. That's big talk. Hey, that's, that's something else. Um, I guess uh, right off the bat, let's talk a little bit. You are the uh, chief motor guy there at Honda. Um, uh, yep. Working on the 450, um, making it better. All new bike this year, too. So I guess let's start with that. How's okay. the bike? How's the development of the bike? How much work has it been? From what I understand, I look at the motor and it sort of looks the same. Um, so is it a whole lot different for you? Um, not so much. I mean, the basic engine configuration or the engine package is, is uh, it's basically the same. But, um, I mean, there are some other things thrown in the mix uh, with the dual exhaust, and the airbox mm-hmm. is a little different this year. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, we just continually, it, it's nonstop continually right. to, to develop a better engine package anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, so far it's been, it's been great. I mean, I was a little concerned at first, um, but, I mean, that was just from, because of what we've known from the past um, mm-hmm. with dual exhaust, I was a little worried. But when I first started isolating the the, the components that were new on the bike for thirteen, mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised. And um, and so so far, everything's been really positive on everything, chassis as well as the engine. A, a guy like you, though, you know, your counterpart would be Shane Drew, chassis guy. There, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he he's probably got a lot more work with a new bike. It looks like an all new frame. Everything's lowered. Everything's tighter. Everything's I imagine for him, it's more of a learning curve, or is it kind of not really? Well, you know, basically the chassis dimensions are identical to, say, the 12 bike. Mm-hmm. So, um, sure, we've made some changes, but again, I think it's just a progression from, you know, where we were at and, and ideas that we develop and try to um, improve the machine as a whole. But um, all in all, I mean, from the, from the first test, I mean, it was apparent the bike turned a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the riders um, just became more comfortable at one with the bike. So, so far, I, like I said, everything's been super right. positive. Um, lap times have been better. Um, so everything's just moving forward. So it's made our life a lot easier. I mean, back from, say, when we went from 08 to 09, right. um, I mean, that was, a, that was a big change. Everything was completely <clears throat> different. And um, we had a little bit of teething problems that first year, but... Right. Um, you know, we kind of sorted it out. We felt by kind of by the end. But when you can come in with a brand new bike or, or a new model, say the 13, mm-hmm. 
and you think you have a fairly good package in the 12, and that 13, you know, straight off the bat is, is you know, a better motorcycle, you know, it gives you a lot of, <laughs> right. a lot of hope for the coming season. Yeah, but, Dan, they told us at Yamaha that when we went to aluminum frames in 05 from steel, mm-hmm. they said the flex characteristics, the dimensions, everything's exactly the same as steel. Don't worry, guys. No worries. And, 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 and the riders were calling bullshit on that first day. They were like, oh, no, this is different. They said they flexed it in the right they, – they braced it and not braced it in the right spots to equal the flex characteristics mm-hmm. of steel. And So I'm just saying. Well, I'm just saying that – this ain't my first rodeo, and I've heard the same <laughs> propaganda over the years. Right, right, and right. so we go into every test like that, you know, right. uh, you know, with one eye open, mm-hmm. and it's it's believe me, I'm I'm not blowing smoke up your butt. This is definitely a, a good bike, and it's everything's been positive. Well, how worried are you on a scale of one to a hundred that the Honda finished last in the Racer X 450 shootout? Uh, about a two. <laughs> okay, all right. So clearly, about, about a two, because um, it's yeah, it's I don't put a lot of credence in any yeah. of those magazine re- articles anyway. So uh, I know I'm just kidding, but it was when surprising. You, when it was you surprising. when you when you have uh, riders mm-hmm. testing machines or ex racers testing machines that are they're basically getting free motorcycles from other manufacturers, you know, it's not a fair test. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> And uh, also, the, I, I think it looked pretty good under Justin Barsha at the uh, Monster Energy Cup, and it looked pretty good under Eli Tomek at Bercy this past weekend. So Yeah, and uh, it even looked, you know, uh, Eli was, was fantastic during testing. I mean, all this kind of came down pretty quick. I mean, mm-hmm. Justin wasn't extremely happy with us prior to the MEC race because um, we didn't have a lot of equipment. Well, we were basically running on two motorcycles, so we pretty much forced him, and, and the motocross donations thing kind of happened at the last minute, so we said, you know, you're going to come back from that, and then you're going to basically be camped out in California for two weeks. And, of course, he was stomping his feet saying, you know, I can't do this. And we're like, well, if you're going to race the Monster Cup, you're going to have to because we have to test, and we only have enough equipment for you and Tomac. So um, that's kind of what went went down, and I think all in all it was a good thing. And um, both of those guys were pretty stellar at our test track uh, yep. prior to that race. So we knew things were going to be pretty good there. We were going to uh, have fairly good results. I was, I'm not going to say I was surprised that we won, but I knew we'd definitely be in contention for something. Yeah, yeah, you'd be in the mix. Um, what about my, Jeremy McGrath? Uh, obviously, he was tweeting some photos. I think he may, maybe even got in trouble at one point for tweeting a photo of, of the new biker. So He's been riding it for a long time. He's working with yourself and Shane, the suspension guy, to uh, to work on the bike. How much does his input help hurt? Uh, how much do you use? Obviously, he's the greatest. He's the king of king of Supercross. So, um, talk about McGrath's role a little bit and how it affects directly affects the Justin Barsha, Trey Canards of the world. Well, <clears throat> we utilize Jeremy. Actually, he just signed a new deal with us. Um, I believe it's for one year. I'm not sure exactly, but. Um, he has so much experience and so much knowledge, and he has a lot to add to the team um, that, you know, every idea, whether it's good or bad, that we seem to come up with, um, we, you know, we can't sit there and uh, uh, hamper the riders with every single idea. And right. They have a lot better things to do. So we actually use Jeremy um, with kind of shaking down a lot of our ideas and, and mm-hmm. uh, 
projects and see if there's any merit to it. And then, uh, you know, out of the five or six things we try, we'll, whatever the best two are, regardless or whatever yeah. we think has some merit, then we'll take it on and let uh, Trey and uh, Justin try it or Chad or, yeah. who you know, the other guys riding our, our equipment. Right, right. Um, and, yeah, you've got, you've got Chad, you've got Kevin mm-hmm. Windham, Justin Barsha, mm-hmm. Trey Kennard, mm-hmm. um, Andrew Short. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys. Heavy hitters. You, you're not telling me anything. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and you know, of course, Chad's got a full works bike. Uh, Shorty's got a full works bike. K Dub, yep. I'm not sure. I think he's got the suspension. I don't know how much he uses of the motor stuff from you. Maybe all of it. But uh, it's a juggling act, huh? It's a, it's, a, it's a yeah. It's a juggling act, and we got to be um, you know on our toes and mm-hmm. make sure everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. And um, and you know, in Kevin's case, we work with FC, our partner, and uh, we work closely with them and supply them with parts and everything uh, so Kevin's happy. And, and we pretty much try to attend all these all the riders' tests um, and be there for any changes that they need to yeah. have made. Right, right. Um, and did you find this past year with Shorty coming back with Chad having a full bike, did you find it noticeably more hectic for you than, than years past? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anytime you have a new bike, and the and the biggest stress of all is you don't have enough equipment, right? Because right. you don't know what works, what doesn't work. And, um, you know, I think first we had one test bike, and then another test bike showed up. And, and um, you know, you're dealing, you know, you don't even really have any spare engines, so you're hoping everything stays together and, <laughs> and we don't have any major drama or problems. Right. And then, of course, these guys, you know, want to be home riding on their own tracks yeah. and, yep. and you know they're not big fans of california so they go oh well they think that they can just take the stuff home or, or they're going to go to europe you know like this uh the genoa bursi trip right. um that was planned first for justin to go to genoa and then uh tomac was going to use the same bike for bursi so right. when that kind of got canceled you know we're so that was one one of our test bikes and another spare engine and everything. By that time, we had an extra equipment, but still, I mean, the four bikes that we currently have, I mean, they're they're basically allocated out. I mean, yeah. they're, they're they're gone. Carbon fiber mud flap at Mercy. Yeah, that was a Martin's Racing. Oh, uh, they okay. they they help us out when any races that we do over in Europe, and they yeah. want you know some of that product they sell. Oh, okay. So they wanted to promote that a little bit. So, um, yeah. yeah, Gothic was bonding with the Martin Hunter. Yes. <laughs> very, I mean, honestly, I, yeah. never, I never saw Gothic. He was on an Italian-slash-French schedule and yes. doing his own thing as Gothic does. Only um, like Gothic does. Right, yes. right. Um, let's go to Motocross Nations. Uh, well, actually, okay. you know, let's, let's talk Martin Honda first. Um, okay. It was exciting to me to see that the uh, Martin Honda, Honda itself, you guys basically – Someone there decided, hey, we're Honda, damn it. We're going to build a works bike. And mm-hmm. Rui Conclavis and Concalvis and uh, Evgeny Bobrashev yep. had uh, basically what looked to be what I thought was going to be a 2013 bike. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out it wasn't. Uh, what do you know about those works bikes? Uh, what did you think? Did you, you saw them at Destinations close up? Mm-hmm. Uh what what was good and bad about him, and and it's kind of cool to see Honda was back in a, in a little bit in a little way. Well, it was I I, I don't know if calling it a concept bike is the right term, but mm-hmm. basically, you know, Japan is always trying to uh, better with the product, mm-hmm. and that was a development project that basically became a race bike, and they obviously want the best equipment and the riders at that time, and Japan felt that that was the direction to go 
So um, because of our uh, production rules here, we were unable to race that bike. So we were stuck more on a production-based machine, but they were able to race that machine, So, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was pretty cool. And that's kind of a, a frustration on Japan's part because they would really like to race works bikes over here. It's just, um, you know, because yeah. of our rules, we're unfortunately we can't. What do you feel about that? You're a guy that, uh, well, you just missed that era, I guess. Um, but uh, what do you think? What do you think? I mean, you know, all I can say is I I understand the AMA side of things uh-huh. as far as and and you know, I honestly feel that the cream of the crop is going to win regardless. I mean, if everybody rode straight production bikes, you know, you're still going to have the the Villapotos and the Barshes and the Canards and you know. The reeds; those guys are still going to be at the top, right? Yeah. Regardless, and and I know when I was a fan of this sport, when I was on the outside looking in, that's what drew me to the sport. Right. I remember sneaking into the Anaheim one paddock to look at those factory drop tank factory Hondas, right. and just was drooling all over the seat, right? <laughs> and so that's what that's got me to where I am, really, right. because of the passion for those motorcycles, and so I, I kind of really wish it would come back. I, I know because of the economy and everything else, people are just listening to this going, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? The cost, but yeah. at the same time, I mean, if you kind of look at F1 and why I think that is still succeeding, I mean, it's just it's yeah. the, the, the epitome of cool. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I still remember as a kid, Hannah brought his works bike up to Calgary to race a Supercross and the lower tank, the '84 one. And uh, yeah, I was just blown away. You just, but yeah, I think I think the thing that that I, I agree with you a little bit because the differences between, um, I, I I don't know. Let me pick a let me pick a random privateer, a Weston Pike. He he rode uh, Cowies in Supercross mm-hmm. this year. The difference between a Weston Pike's bike and Jake Weimer's bike. Yes, production frame slash swing arm um, cases, okay? But the difference is as great as probably the difference was between a 84 CR250 and an 84 works bike. I mean, Weimer's bike is on the limit. It's the latest and greatest. Things are replaced and changed. There's not much difference, I, I feel, between uh, the, from a competitive standpoint. That was the thing. Let's give privateers a chance. Let's help them out. That was where... It all started, I think, and costs too. But I mean, really, the the, the bikes that you're racing, Cowie and everybody else, are, are far better than a privateer bike already. So why not just open the doors and make a works bike? Yeah, and and I think people need to realize too. I think it's the it's the people around that bike. Right. We're able to give the rider what they want. Or we, I, I like to think that we're yeah. able to give the rider what they're <laughs> right. looking for, right. and and dial that thing into what they want, and that's that's a I think one of the largest aspects of their success is, um, you know, the average privateer doesn't have a staff of, you know, five to ten people around them trying to give them whatever they need or want. So um, that's part of it. But I also think, too, that people need to realize is, you know, the poor privateer that can't win or whatever, the poor privateer that's, you know, the sixth-place guy or the seventh-place guy, that is the next factory rider, right? I mean, if they're... Mm -hmm. Everybody knows the equipment that they're on, and everyone knows that they're you know barely making it to the next race or whatever. Those are the guys that are the next guys that are coming up, and they have that option, or they would be the the, the next selection. So, I think they need to 
focus on trying to be the best that they can be and be top privateer, and right. hopefully they can make the next step up a class. Yeah, I mean, I worked for a couple of guys that went from top privateer, you know, the Tim Ferry and Nick Way. They yeah. Went, they went from top privateers and supercross classes to basically works bike the next, the next yeah. year, you know? So you're exactly right. It does. It, that's sort of the nature of the selection process. Um, yeah. What's the coolest thing you got at Honda there? As far as works bike, works area. I mean, do you have any complete ones that you... Oh, yeah. Like, we have a full museum that's off-site that's just... You'd be drooling. Yeah. We every every bike that I can remember. I mean, the, actually, I was just walking in. Next to my shop, there's a service shop, you know, that all the magazine bikes come out of. Right. And um, they there's a guy over there that specifically his duty, one of his duties is just to maintain those bikes and clean them up. And they go to dealer shows or whatever. Yeah. And I walked back there and they had Hannah's, uh, uh, I think it was his 84 bike. And mm-hmm. I was taking pictures of that. So, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, it just, once it, every, oh, and then, uh, was it Jim Pomeroy's? One of, they had one of those bikes back there, too. So it was it was kind of cool. It's yeah. cool. Those things just come along, and I go, how the hell did these guys ride these things? <laughs> I know, huh? It's pretty <laughs> funny. Do you feel, though, like I did an interview with Ron Lachine, and he feels like his 85, 125 Honda would have been as competitive as not a 250F, but the last year we raced 125s, like 03, you know what I mean? Oh, two. Whenever the last year they rode 125s, he feels like his 85 would have been that good. Do you agree with that? I don't know. I don't, you know, that yeah. was, I didn't really, you know, I was at Cowie. Right. I started Cowie in 81, but I wasn't really privy to all the, you know, being around professional right. racing until like uh, 87. So, um, and that started at Honda in 89. So I don't really know. I was right. never really around that stuff. So I can't really say he would have a better idea about that than myself. Yeah. Uh, motocross to Nations. Um, mm-hmm. We lost, or you yes, got, we did. You guys lost. Yes, we did. Um, how, how many times you been on a losing team? Were you there in '03 and Zoldi? First, okay. first time. First time. Uh, you were Jeff Stanton's mechanic for years and years, so you would have won yeah. three or four with Jeff. Won three with Jeff as a direct mechanic, yep. and I think I've been on three other winning teams as mm-hmm. you know indirectly as yep. being just a support guy. Right, right. So. Uh, what'd you think? Uh, I talked to you after the race and, uh, we were going to do an interview. We never caught up, but looking back on it, um, what's your thoughts on that race? I was bummed. I think we were all pretty bummed. I think, um, I, we kind of knew what we were getting in for, but speaking for myself, Mm -hmm. I had no idea that it was that gnarly. Mm Um, I mean, we, we rode over there three, we had three practice days prior to the event and none of those two were even close. <laughs> right. And one of them was the real track, you right. know, half the track we rode on, and, and that thing was the five freeway. So it was, it, we were not prepared. And, and you, people have to understand, too, that, and I'm trying not to make excuses here, but those guys live, that's like their home track, yes. right? They, yes. they live five minutes away, and that's the track they ride all the time. Um, so, uh, you know, we were a little behind the eight ball on the whole thing, but yeah. I mean, I think we gave it a pretty good shot. Um, and in another two years, we're going to have it. It's going to be another difficult time, right? So, um, why? Why another two years? I think um, it's, it's in two Helen. years. It's going to it, now. I think that's isn't Glen Helen three years. Oh, I thought it was two years. I, I I think we're going to Germany next year, and yeah. then the next year after that is uh, no, God, I'm another soundtrack. Name of it? Yeah, it's it's, it's um, as bad or worse than what we. Just raced on. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You guys all were you were you there, were you there the entire time with everybody else? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So you guys were there for ten days. 
yep. 11 days, busting your asses. You're all worked hard. Yep. Um, and I'm not taking anything away from that. Uh, yep. But I was surprised at how far off the USA guys were right from the first practice. I knew Caroli and Hurlings would be super fast and watch out. They may win, but you know yep. their, their, their teammates aren't going to come through or whatever, or won't be able to come through. But from that very first practice, I, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, you know, none of the guys seemed to be as good as I thought. you agree? Well, maybe the first. I was actually, uh, speaking for Justin, mm-hmm. I was pretty, I, was, I thought Justin held up his end of the deal. I thought that uh, he was, other than Caroli and Hurlings, he probably was the third fastest guy there, right? Um, I mean, he made, yeah, he he made, a, few mis- he made a few mistakes, mm-hmm. but overall I thought he rode fairly well. And I thought he was maybe a little impatient at times, but that's Justin Barsha, right? Yeah, and exactly. you can't sit there and tell him not to be who he is. Right. So, um, and I was totally impressed with, you know, when he went through that fence and trying to pull that bike out of that fence yeah. and how much energy that must have took to do that and then to jump back out on that track and, <laughs> and do some flying W. Right. And I'm like, no way. Yeah. I mean, it just, he, the kid has so much heart and wants to win so bad. Um, but I kind of got the same feeling that you felt in that first practice. I mean, I saw some things during our practice sessions that I was like, you know, we're going to have a tough go. Yeah. But I thought if everybody held up their end of the deal and everybody, you know, rode solid and we didn't yeah. have any yeah. issues or problems, I think we could have possibly pulled it off because of a team. Right. We still were the, probably the strongest three-man team that was there. But unfortunately, we just didn't. We didn't produce. We didn't yeah. do what we needed to do. Yeah, Justin. So. Justin rode good. I think you're right. I think he there, there's him and a couple other guys that uh, were the third fastest. You know, you can, whatever. They were really close. And I thought Justin mm-hmm. last moto of the weekend he was third. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, until he made that move on the Diker, which you know is a racing incident. Yeah. Um, he was going to the front. He was going like see you later. I'm going yep. to the front. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it was, and it was Hur- surprising. And, when, and during his, I think it was the qualifier, when, when Hurlings came by, I mean, Hurlings got a bad start, comes through, passes him, and from what I was told, that once somebody Hurlings passes somebody, they just kind of wave goodbye to him, and mm-hmm. he started throwing it back in on him, you know, like yeah. he's, he's yeah, like, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> not going to, you know, back down from this guy, and so that was kind of cool. So um, Let me ask you this, were you, it's probably a dumb question, you're going to get mad at me, but. Uh, of course, I get mad at you all the right, time. Right, right. Well, but I wrote this before the race a few times. Okay. Uh, Honda in the sand. Uh, yep. Justin Barsha last year had a problem. Chad Reed had a problem. Yep. Um, yep. You know, and does that come? And I know you deeply, you're passionate and you're caring about your job. You're obviously very mm-hmm. good at it. Um, you know, you don't have a summer cross win like I do, but you got a lot of other wins. Um, mm-hmm. d- did it come into your mind? Were you? Were you? Did you take precautions? Were you like, because you know, deep, deep sand, it's the worst for a bike. Uh, Anything you can name, uh, it taxes a bike. How stressed were you about that? How worried were you about that? Um, not really so much. I mean, we when we have issues, it's not like, oh, we have an issue and we don't right, get into right. the problem of why something happened, right? Yeah, right. And um, most of all the factory bikes now have data on the bike that we can actually see certain things of why things developed or mm-hmm. and. So, I mean, those were problems that had happened. Unfortunately, they happened, and we kind of knew why they happened. Okay. But um, in that condition, you know, you also have to look at U.S. being different from Europe. 
if that track was held in the if that track was in the United States and say it was held in the month of July or August, right. you probably would have been pushing off fifty percent of those motorcycles without yeah. a doubt. Right. I mean, just because I mean it was what yeah. sixty yeah. degrees there oh, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, maybe. So yeah. fortunately, it was cool enough, but. I know for a fact that a lot of bikes had a lot of issues and problems um, with temperature and, mm-hmm. and, and that sand, um, you know, even during testing, I mean, we did a lot of different things to try to direct the sand and keep the sand, but that yep. sand became, uh, you know, it would get stuck to the radiators and just plug yep. the radiators up. And a lot of, and the majority, like from halfway down, a lot of it was just being directed from the front wheel right. from, from that bike. So, I mean, it's, that's the biggest it's, problem or biggest issue is yeah. just trying to keep the radiators clean in that environment. Well, yeah, regardless of the issues you had at Southwick, that is taxing on any motorcycle out there, you know? Yes. So, yes. yep, it's that time again. Time for a commercial. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. Listen to these commercials from BTOsports.com. Use the code Steve and JT Racing. Thank you, JT Racing, for coming on board. Listen to these commercials, support the sponsors, and, yeah, then we'll get back to the show. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped at anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at BTOsports.com. JT Racing USA is back to reestablish its deep roots in the motocross industry with an all-new, innovative line of racewear and casual wear. While bringing many of JT's strongest design elements from its golden years back to life, the racewear is constructed with the highest grade material on the market and has a technological fit, feel, and function that is sure to raise the bar in how motocross gear is being built. JT has relaunched itself back into motocross with the Pro Tour jersey, classic pants, lifeline, and flex field gloves in eight colorways with an assortment of men's and women's casual wear to add to its collection. By redefining the meaning of airflow, JT has incorporated its airline system technology into this collection and have launched their all-new ALS2 helmet in seven colorways to complete the rebirth of the brand. The wait is over. Without... Without trying to get you to talk shit or anything else, but I didn't think Dungey's bike worked very well. I, I I wrote that. I talked to Roger. Roger admitted it after the race. Uh, what did you see? What did you think? Oh, I I didn't feel he was that comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I know from when we started. I mean, you have to understand when we first unloaded and we get to uh, the track for the first day. I mean, it, it was very smooth, and he right. and he looked okay. And and you know, I'm basically more focusing on yeah, Justin, obviously. Right. But um, I knew things didn't look stellar. I mean, when uh, when uh, uh, Baggett was the fastest guy on the track the first day, I'm like, right, this, right. Could a, this could be a little bit of an issue, right? When, yeah, a, yeah. when a 250 is faster than 450 <laughs> right, on a fan right. track, that could be a problem. Right. But um, by the second time, the second day we practiced, I think, Everybody kind of came around a little bit, but it wasn't really a real... It was more like a Southwick track than what we were going to be racing on. Yep. And then by the third practice day in Germany, I knew we had problems. Yeah. And we knew we were going to be struggling. Yeah. Uh, I believe Justin was like two seconds a lap faster than uh, Dungy on that day. And you could see... I mean, you've been around the sport long enough, and you know the people you're dealing with, and you could see they were kind of flailing a little bit. And, yeah. and there were some concerns on their face that... Uh, 
Yeah. You know, when we we are loading up and leaving, and they're still there, and they're trying everything that right. there was there was some question. So, yep. I, and and you know, in his defense, I mean, the guy Dungy has as much heart as anybody I know, and the guy is in phenomenal shape. Yeah, and um, gives it a hundred percent. And when he came over after that first race, and to talk to Justin about the track, and you could just see it in his face, like yeah. You know, he was dejected, and he was like, he just didn't know. He didn't. He's like, I don't know what to tell you. So yeah, I spoke to I Carlos mean, a little bit, uh, you, and you know Carlos well. He worked for Davy Millsaps, uh, and Carlos yeah. was like, yeah, we threw, we threw everything at the bike. Yeah, so, I'm sure, and know. I know they did <laughs> right. as well as anybody would have, right? It's just a different animal over there. That's that's it's it. Totally different, and it, and honestly, if we would have had to camped out over there for a month and just try, mm-hmm. and, and that's the other thing, the track is so rough and so gnarly that, you know, I don't think we would have had to have ridden in those conditions to develop settings for those conditions. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the settings that are developed, like, um, I think on those bikes are over a period of time, right, from past races. And mm-hmm. so it, it's very difficult to develop settings on some smooth sand track when you're racing something that's yeah. just crazy. Did, 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 did we need six time? Did we need him? Did, should we have dusted him off? I mean, he would not have let this happen. You were there. You've seen it. <laughs> I've seen miracles happen. Yes. Um, I don't know if he would have. I don't know if it would have been any better. Hey, quite let, honestly. But let me let me ask you this: uh, Vimmerby, Sweden, I think, yes. and yes. Valkenswad. Yes. Two sand tracks, two destinations. I watch. I've seen both of them on TV. Yep. Um, what were? Can you compare 2012 to to back then? I mean, were you guys lost? Jeff doesn't strike me as a particularly great sand ride. I don't remember him doing really well at Southwick over the years. Obviously, probably one here and there. But what was it like back then? Were you also scratching your heads and, and just six-time made it happen? Um, or what? Six-time made it happen. Um, I remember, see, it, 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 it used to be way different back then. You know, Roger was still team manager, but um, we were kind of on our own. And I right. remember that race in Sweden specifically because <laughs> Bevo <laughs> – Bevo, we flew our stuff into Belgium, and I had to drive to Sweden, and Bevo was my co-pilot, which is another – that could take <laughs> right, up a whole another right. <laughs> broadcast. You know, broadcast right, but, right. Um, there is no – I mean, now you go over there, and there's an entourage of people, right? I it's mean, it's insane. not just like right. a mechanic, a rider, and a suspension guy. I mean, it's, it's everybody and their brothers over there, and there's security. And, and back then, it was me, Bevo, and a van, Jeff, and, you know, DeCoster's being the manager. And, right. and um, I had no suspension guy. I had no nothing. I remember having to – we were having some problems, and I remember having to pull the shock apart and rebuild the, revalve the shock and try something, right? right because right, right. it just wasn't working. And, but when it came down to crunch time, he knew what he needed to do, and the guy would pull it out of his butt and pull it off. It was, it, it well, was amazing. Like both years, one year he had to park Gherkins. I don't know which one. Yeah, um, maybe that was Vulcan Swat. He had to par- catch and pack pass Gherkins, and another year, um, you know, just coming through the pack. And Bradshaw, Kurowski, his teammates were the same kind of deal. Well, I think Bradshaw crashed out of Sweden or something. But um, I mean, did you test sand before you went over there in America? Did you try to do something to, to develop it, or was it <laughs> not so much? No. I, from what I remember, we kind of went over there like yeah. whatever you know. We would, you know, obviously, show would set us up with yeah. uh, whatever we had at the time because we didn't really have any in-house suspension guys. Right. You know, we had a specific uh, suspension guy that show would supply us. But I'm sure we just took whatever we would go to Southwick with. Yeah, and that yeah. was what we went with, <laughs> right. and you know, and 
back then too. I mean, we didn't race 500s a lot at the time, so right. um, so yeah. I mean, it was it was fun. It was experience. Do you remember but thinking, was, in, as a mechanic, we're effed? We're losing this one? No, 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 no. No, I remember screaming my brains out and Bevo <laughs> screaming his, you know, and yeah, yeah. standing there and knowing what we had to do and and uh, telling Jeff, "Hey, you have to make this yeah. happen." Yeah, you know, and and that's all you can do, you know. You you as a mechanic, you just tell your rider, "This is the place you need. Right. This is it for the overall," and hopefully, you can pull this off. I saw him do the exact same thing at a, uh, I think it was the last GP in Japan. Uh-huh. Um, and um, he fell in the first corner, same thing, and came from dead last to win the thing. And so, I mean, it's just, it's the guy's done some phenomenal rides. He has a lot of heart, and uh, you tell him he can't do something, he's going to prove you wrong. And having said that, I don't want people who are listening are thinking that we're, you and I are talking about how Barsha, Baggett, and Dungey have no heart like six times. No, it's, no, it's not, no that. not at all. Yeah, not at not all. That. You got three of the top riders in the world, and yeah. they gave it everything they had. Um, it just... We just came up yeah. short. That's I, that's the bottom line. I just find it interesting that you yourself uh, went there this year as a, as, a, as a big part of the team, and then you yourself, as a mechanic, you went into these sand races where I imagine, you know, again, Valkenswald. They all, you know, we drove through Valkenswald to get to Lomo, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so it's kind of the same situation where you're like, we're not, we don't really have sand tracks in America. Here we are on their land. Our, we're on our own, even more so. You're on your own, and yet somehow the USA back then. Uh, pulled it through, you know, both years. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and you have to look at it from, I think, the European perspective too. They want us to lose. They I do. Mean, they they do. are so sick of us winning right. over there. And um, I remember, I'll give you a little story. I went uh, next to our uh, the race truck. We were pitting out of the Martin's truck. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like a little restaurant slash bar right next to there, and I went yeah. in there to use the restroom. And so I walked in, and a bunch of guys called me over, and you know they were talking to me and stuff. And so I'm walking out of the place, uh-huh. and this guy goes, "Hey, uh, good luck tomorrow." And I go, "Hey, thank you very much." And yeah. as I'm walking out the door, he didn't think I could hear him. He goes, "You're going to need it." Uh-huh. And I go, <laughs> I'm like, you know, and I'm pretty competitive. I'm like yeah, under yeah. my breath, I'm saying a few little things myself <laughs> because they just they want us to lose bad. And I right. honestly, I mean, sure, the ra- you know there should be races every all over the world. And, uh, the, you know, the best guys win, but mm-hmm. they're kind of stacking the deck a bit just so they could say they won a couple because, yeah. obviously, the best riders, we have the best three-rider team yeah. any, at any time. So After practice, I tweeted that the announcing immediately Ustream has moved all the next 20 destinations to the soundtrack <laughs> yeah, across much. the world, pretty right? Much. Um, pretty much. Uh, and, and, you know, I've been there in 03 we lost uh, with Carmichael Ferry and Hughes, and it sucks. You feel yeah. like – feel like there's just, you just feel like shit. Um, is and obviously, I was a direct mechanic, so maybe uh, involved a little more than say you were with this team. You know, you're the motor guy. But did it feel? I mean, did it feel shitty? Were you? Were you? It felt very shitty. Okay. I don't All like right. to lose. Right. And um, let me put it this way: I've been fortunate enough through my career to, you know, as a mechanic and right. as a support person, we've I've won a few races, I've won a few championships. Yep. And the, I feel like those three. Uh, motocross the nations wins with Jeff. I put on the top of the mantle. Oh, okay. Yep. Out of a matter of fact, in my office, out of everything that I could have kept from memorabilia, those were the. I have three cups that I had gotten for being a mechanic. Those are oh, the only wow. three things that I have. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. I I mean, it's mm-hmm. really cool going to another country to represent your country and yeah. um, and then to win in that environment. I, I it's really cool and so. 
to not win, it's very, mm-hmm. especially with the track history we have, and to be part of a losing team is unfortunate, but yeah. I actually think you have to do that sometimes to put everything into perspective and of make you realize yeah. on how hard it actually is to do that. Well, I kind of mentioned that to Bones after the race, and I thought he wanted to bite my head off. Um, yeah. I was just like, hey, it's not that bad losing because now you got, you know, and he looked at me and I'm just like, wait, 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 let me explain. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because yeah. you're exactly right. It makes people think that it's just turnkey America shows up and dominates, and it's not. It's tough. It's Every, not. Yeah. If, if you realize how much work is involved in preparing for this race and the equipment that's sent over there, I mean, yeah. we sent two bikes, four engines, we're over there, like you said, for 10 days. Um, I mean, the amount of money and expense yeah. and manpower involved, um, and there's a whole other support staff sitting in the U.S. just waiting to hear the results, right? Not just the yeah. people that get to go to the races. So and, and it's, a, it's a big deal, and, and uh, I don't know if people really realize all that. And newsflash, a lot of this is coming out of Honda's pocketbook. Just you got KTM's it. pocketbook and, and Cowie's pocketbook. That's right. Circuit, That's you know? right. Uh, That's it's right. not exactly a all-expense pay. This is a, a huge no. a huge effort for, for everyone involved to go. That's, that, that's correct. That's um, correct. Justin Barsha, uh, riding a 450, what's it been like? I, I think he doesn't rev it as much as a 250. Nope. That's good, and that's a good nope. thing. Um, what's he been like to work with? He's he's one guy that, to me, he's I think, and this word's tossed around too much, but he's special. Uh, win or lose. You know what <laughs> I mean? Is, he is special. Um, it's uh, refreshing, mm-hmm. I guess, is one, one word I, that comes to light. Um, yep. He has so much uh, enthusiasm and wants to win so bad and puts a lot into his craft. Um, and I just, man, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a very special year with him and Trey on the mm-hmm. team. I'm, I haven't felt this optimistic about a year coming up. I mean, we need to focus on keeping those two guys healthy for A1 to right. start with. But um, I just got back from a test in uh, Florida at mm-hmm. Justin's house with Trey also, and I can't tell you how well it went. It was awesome. Was awesome. Tim, was Tim Ferry there? Uh, no, he wasn't. Oh, okay. No, he wasn't. Right. Um, what about uh, your old rider, Jeff Stanton's working with Barsha right yes. now, which is yep. probably a little bizarre at times? At first, I thought it was bizarre, <laughs> um, but you know, the more time I spend around Justin, I see so much of Jeff. Do you really? Personal- huh? yeah. Personality wise, right? They both do some pretty off the wall things. <laughs> right. Stanton, from what Justin tells me, still does the same things that he used to do when I was his mechanic. Right. Like, so, like um, poop in between two I, pieces of bread and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah. I think. I think it's working out very well, and um, I they think see- it's and, – and Justin, speak, talking to Justin and Justin's mechanic, uh, Schneike, and his mom, Lorraine, mm-hmm. and Don, his dad, I mean, all I get is positive out of the whole right. thing, so it's good. I And you know these guys way better than I do, but I thought that they're pretty two different personalities. But Totally. But, totally. but it's working. At first. But it's working. I, yeah. I, see, I thought they were different personalities also, but right. I'm starting to realize I think they're more similar than <laughs> – okay. And I realized, and I didn't honestly didn't think it was going to last more than a week or two yeah. at first. Yeah, yeah, but right. It's, it's actually turning into, I think, a pretty good friendship as well as working relationship. I don't know how much of it is a front, but Six Time always says, "I don't need the money. I don't need the fame. If this dude's not working, I'm out." You know what I mean? Like about about every anybody or anything. You know, like he, that's the way he is. Yeah, and 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 so 
um, you know, he said that about Justin when he first started working with him, and here we are, you know, a year later, and it's like you said, must Justin must be doing it all right because Jeff doesn't suffer fools, really, you know. No, Jeff. You know, Jeff. It's true. Jeff doesn't need it. He doesn't need the money, and he's not going to sit there and beg somebody to go do their job or go train, right? I mean, that's what Jeff was all about anyway, was training and being physically fit because he, you know, didn't have the, you know, the Jeremy McGrath talent, natural ability of being on the bike. And mm-hmm. so he, that's was uh, his the benefit to being in such great shape and condition. And I think that's where he's helping Justin mm-hmm. um, the most. But I, Justin, I know Justin's doing the work, and I know Jeff uh, has been down there um, you know, I think he goes down there for a couple of weeks or goes for a right. week at a time and then comes home and, uh, but Justin's following through with everything. So, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's so far working great. Um, Trey Kennard, is he, is mm-hmm. he back? Is he a guy? Is, I mean, I'm, a, I'm here to officially tell you yep. that he is back. Okay. Scrubbing. Just... He is back to the Justin or the Trey Kennard that, uh, I remembered. Okay, great. Good, good news. I mean, I asked him the same question. And he said he was, but you know how riders are. Well, you got to believe that, right? I mean, you can't believe that you're not. Absolutely, um, you're right. So that's why I'm um, asking you. <laughs> I saw him probably now three weeks ago when we did our first Supercross test with him, mm-hmm. and he had started coming back, riding some outdoors. Um, he rode down a Supercross track maybe three to four times on a twelve. Before coming to our test, it was the first time he rode a thirteen. Mm-hmm. We had a two or three day test with him in Corona. Um, looked very comfortable, but obviously needed to find some speed, mm-hmm. um, was, was being, you know, and, and he's very smart. He's, he's, you know, he knows what he can do right now and he's not pushing the envelope knowing, oh man, I got to get, get up to speed. Right. You know, he, nobody plans on peaking at a one. And so, yep. um, he, we sent him home and he showed up at Barsha's house and I was like, and I was so stunned at the speed that the guy had and looked so comfortable. And all I can say is when it was all said and done, he was going the speed of Barsha. And, really? Oh, wow. And Good for him. Looks, and both of them look fantastic. So. Um, yeah, now, and, that, and, you know, if Trey can get back up to speed, I predict that uh, both of them at some point will, you know, will be racing each other and things could get good in the Honda truck. But I am really <laughs> looking forward to the day that um, I remember the, the old Stanton uh, – Days with Johnson and and uh, JMB, JMB and and Jeremy and Ward. Those guys they pushed each other to a new level, yeah. right? I mean, because yep. of the competition and and. But I hopefully they they stay friends and they push each other and can and you know work together, yep. which I which is where it is right now. But we haven't got to the first race yet. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm hoping that's the case because if they can continue doing this and pushing each other, it's only going to bring them to the next step up up the ladder. I, uh, I interviewed JMB this weekend at Bercy. Um, uh-huh. We did this little thing where we watch an old race, and then we talk about what's going on on the screen. And did he it, say to say hi to me? Well, this is where I'm getting <laughs> at. It was, uh, it was uh, Phoenix 91. So he comes from uh-huh. the back, and he I don't know if you remember the race, but he, after the finish line, he uses his berm and to launch to basically pass everyone, mm-hmm. uh, including Jeff, who was leading at the time. He uses this one line, and he requested this race. And I, and I know why, because he came from the back to pass everybody. Yep. And uh, it went by the mechanics area, and I'm like, I said something like, there's Dan Bentley cheering you on. And, and he goes, <laughs> he pauses, no. <laughs> so I thought it was pretty funny. I threw that in there, knowing that you and him didn't see eye to eye, just like Jeff no. and him didn't see eye to eye, although they both deny it to this day. But uh, uh, kind of funny. 
I got to say, I mean, is we didn't see eye to eye, and we weren't friends. And I think Jeff could say the same thing, but there was a hell of a lot of respect. Right. And I hopefully right. it was you know two sided from yeah. both sides, but yeah. we had respect for each other, and uh, and we just wanted to win. That's yeah. it. I mean, they wanted to win too, and there's only one winner. So yeah, yeah. You and Cliff and you going at it, and Jeff and. JMB going yeah, at it. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Uh, uh, Dave Arnold had probably a fun job back then. Um, oh, yeah. Hey, uh, the Geico team, uh, obviously mm-hmm. they brought everything in-house uh, more so than in years past. Kibby over there working hard. How much yep. do they bounce things off of you, ask you questions? Let, how much do you know about their, their motor program and package and, and all that? Uh, quite a bit. We, okay. you know, Now that they're more in-house um, and kind of pulled away from PC, uh, we help them every as much as they need the help, right? I mean, Kibby does a great job over there, right. and um, we're here for their assistance, basically. And if they have any problems or comments, and they're you know, we help them try to develop parts, and we're we're here any way they need need help. That's right, all. right, right. So, so you got a little handle on what's going on over there, or whatever. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the riders. I certainly Mitch Payton at Pro Circuit makes terrific stuff, and and yep. and. You yep. know his, his results speak for themselves, but yep. I, I mean, I I mean again, and maybe it's the riders, but that Geico team seems to have looking better, let's say, since pulling everything in house. And I and I hate to say that because Mitch is a friend of mine, and we know he makes awesome stuff. And there's no chance that he wasn't giving them their their best. But uh, I, would you agree with that? I mean, they seem to have stepped at totally. a new level. Totally agree with that, and that honestly was one of the reasons for doing what they need to do. I mean. They want to be a completely independent team. To be a real team, you have to be independent. You have to be able to develop your stuff yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, uh, I have a lot of respect for Mitch, and he does build great equipment, right? But you also have to remember you're racing against this guy. And I'm not saying he ever held stuff back from them, mm-hmm. but at the same time, when you're beating them on the track and he's got 10 items to do or 10 things to do on his to-do list every day and one of those items <laughs> is to, to make your engine a little bit better make- i'm sure it keeps getting knocked down to number nine number ten number nine number you know what i'm right, saying right so i mean i'm not saying he did that on purpose i'm not saying he even did it at all i'm just yeah. saying that i mean everybody's well. human and you, you kind of have to think about it so um to to be competitive and to win in this this uh, industry, mm-hmm. you've got to figure out a way to do it on your own. And so they're starting to do that, and they're doing a great job. Uh, worst trend in a, in a motocross right now? Um, worst trend that you see? What, 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 is it? what what's what, what? I mean, you've been there. You've driven the box vans. You've won the championships. You've developed motors. You even sold Snap-on tools for a year. So That's right. you, you've really got... You've really got a good indication of everything. What's the worst thing that that we're doing as a sport? Either the riders or the mechanics or or any. I mean, my my thing is pit boards in practice. It might be the worst trend ever, but um, that's it. Wow, well, <laughs> the worst trend. <laughs> maybe not the worst, but it's something that pisses me off uh, big time. But I mean, what's what's changed for the worst? Do you think? What do we need to well, get back to? Well, I'm going to probably end up getting a lot of people mad, really important people mad at me right now. Oh, then I don't want to do that, but, you know, yeah, tell me. I'm, you know, I really would like to see more of a trickle-down uh, system on getting some of these riders paid. Right, right. Um, I find it 
I think it's abysmal that you have privateer riders that are barely making it from race to race, and the amount of money that they get probably doesn't pay the gas money to get to the next event. And if they want this, you know, there's there's a problem with having enough people show up at a race or enough competitors show up at a race, but yet in this economy and this environment, it's 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 a problem, right? I mean, wow. it's like how do you how can you afford to continue to do this? We're kind of isolated in you know being on a being fortunate enough to be on a factory team, and I think even the mechanics they don't realize the expense that we spend every week to rebuild that motorcycle mm-hmm. because we don't. You know, we don't get a bill at the end of the week and go, oh, yeah, we have to pay this to, yeah, to right. this bike, right? And so these guys have to. These guys, you know, sure, they do have a parts allowance or they get free parts or free this yeah. or that from sponsors, but it still costs a lot of money. Just If you just figure up hotel bills and food and insurance, and um, it's not cheap. And I think there needs to be something done uh, to start bringing up the, you know, Guys from the beginning, like coming up into, I know they have like Arena Cross, and that's supposed to be the feeder series to Supercross, but yet I would think that something better can be done than that as well. Well, it's odd in a sport. It's not necessarily healthy. Obviously, the winners of the race and the superstars should be paid well, but it's it's a little strange, and I've said this time and time again, when a James Stewart or a Ryan Villapoto are probably making $5 million plus, and Kyle Chisholm, who is a gnarly, incredible rider, an amazing rider, is only ten spots behind him. Not, you know, I mean, we're not, we're not talking not making the main event or not not making the night show. He's ten behind the best rider in the world, and he is not even making a hundred thousand dollars. That's and, correct. And the guy nine spots ahead of him is making five million plus. Right. There's something wrong there, it, you know. I actually think it's rather embarrassing. I mean, a thousand dollars today is nothing like it was, you know, mm-hmm. ten, fifteen even 20 years ago, whatever yeah. it is, but it's $1,000 for getting a whole shot. I'm sure guys appreciate that $1,000, but right. I almost think when you look at other stick-and-ball sports, right. the amount of money for doing something, that one bucks is almost embarrassing to me to yeah. even have that on television. Yeah, so, have a guy holding I, a check, yeah. yeah. But that's just my opinion, and, and uh, you asked it, so... I, I did. <laughs> um, so now everybody's going to hate me as much as they hate you. Well, so. yeah, maybe maybe so. I just think that we do need to, again, I'm not begrudging, begrudging the, the superstars of the sport. They're the winners. They're the ones no, that do sell no. tickets. But exactly. we're, not health, we're not healthy when a guy in 10th, a la Kyle Chisholm, you know, can't, exactly. make, can't make, you know. I know what Kyle Those, made this year. He can't make it. You know, he, that's can't, right. he can't even come close to it. And he's not that far off um, right. of, of a James Stewart or Ryan Villapoto or whatever. Um, all right, Dan. Hey, uh, Dan Bentley, uh, American Honda Muscle Milk Team. Thank you for doing the uh, BTOsports.com RacerX podcast. Always refreshing. One of my favorite guys to talk to at the race is just because you don't walk away like a lot of the others. <laughs> you, <laughs> but, don't you mean run away? Yeah, yeah, run away <laughs> like a lot of the others. But uh, I appreciate it. And, um, uh, good times and, and good luck with everything. I'm sure we'll see you, uh, you know, definitely Anaheim one, if not sooner. No problem. Thanks, Steve. Get back to the dyno. Okay. Bye. Later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Steve Mathis Show. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to find the more than 200 episode archive, or get the Pulp MX app for your iPhone for the complete Pulp MX fix.